Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Miltite. This week, I'm re-releasing a show I put out almost exactly four years ago. It's about networking and women's attitude to networking and how we can get better at it if we so desire. I have to say, I still don't love going into a room full of strangers at a conference or event and starting a conversation. But networking is about much more than that, as you'll hear in the episode. Also, a technical note. Back then, I wasn't yet in the habit of miking myself when I asked my questions because I wasn't sure I was going to use my questions in the finished show. So you will hear my questions in this show are a little off mic. I hope you enjoy the episode. As always, get in touch if you have anything to add. You'll hear from me again at the end of the show. Okay, so here's me back in 2014. This time on the show, the horrors and delights of networking – We read this is an important part of our careers, but a lot of women can't stand the idea. We think of networking as, I'm going to meet this person so that they will do something for me. And I think that is toxic on so many levels. Coming up. Back when I had a regular job, I basically didn't do any networking. I rarely went to after-work events where I might meet new people in my industry because I thought, hey, I'm busy, I'm tired, I'd rather do something else at the end of the day. I saw it as a chore, not something that could potentially help me. And frankly, the whole idea of networking seemed more like schmoozing, and I wasn't comfortable with that. Then I started working for myself. And I began to go to lots of events because I needed to meet people. But I'd be lying if I said I looked forward to these occasions. I hated walking up to total strangers with a nervous smile plastered to my face. In this show, we're going to talk about how to get over the dread of networking and why you should bother. And we'll meet a star networker whose contacts list has, she claims, kept her in work and helped out a lot of other people too. First, I sat down with Kimberly Weissel. She's had a long career in business journalism, and she's the co-founder of the site One Thing New, a startup she describes as rebooting women's content. I began by saying that from what I could work out, at least some of women's discomfort with networking has to do with how we feel about other people. I do think women tend to set great store on their relationships. And when I put this out there on my Facebook page, some of the responses I got were, were along the lines of, it's icky, it's fake. It all has to do with the way that we value our relationships. And I think a lot of women see networking as somehow using something. Absolutely. Well, I think there's two things about why women potentially hate networking more than men. And I think one is that in a business setting, you're very likely to be networking with men. So that right there socially is uncomfortable, right? Because socially men are the ones who approach us 
We don't just go up to men and start asking them about their lives. And we often don't want to. It's much more comfortable, even if I'm in a professional um, setting, to approach a group of women, right? But a lot of times you're in an event where that's just not possible. Um, I think the other reason that women hate networking is because of the way that we frame it. We think of networking as, I'm going to meet this person so that they will do something for me. And I think that is toxic on so many levels. I think if you're not a natural extrovert, it's really, really hard to think of networking as just, I'm going to meet some new people. Even people who consider themselves mostly extrovert can quail at the thought of a room full of strangers. Dory Clark agrees with Kimberly that we need to simplify the idea of networking. She's the author of the book Reinventing You. She also blogs for Forbes and Harvard Business Review. I confess to her, I have a problem with the word networking. It kind of makes me cringe. Yeah, networking and personal brand are, are like the two most loaded phrases in the business world right now. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's, about, uh, it's about meeting people. I mean, you know, I, I think if you ask most people, would you like to have a circle of interesting people that you know, they would probably say yes. People turn it in their heads into, uh, into something scary that they don't want to do. And it's really unfortunate. It's unfortunate, she says, because it's how you find out about opportunities and meet or cement relationships with people who can help you. Research shows women do not make these career contacts at the same rate men do. They simply do less networking. It's one of the reasons cited for the absence of women in companies' higher ranks. For years, Kimberly Weissel dreaded walking into a room where she didn't know anybody. She went to networking events purely out of duty, until a male colleague gave her a tip, and she discovered how to work a room. The natural inclination at a networking event is to find the person who's by themselves, right? Go early, find the person who buys them, who's by themselves, because then Cling they'll talk to, to you. With, to right, life. and that's not right. It doesn't, it, it doesn't work well, because then you're stuck talking to them for the whole night, potentially, right? And then it's just as hard to extricate yourself as it was to start talking to them in the first place. So what you need to do is find groups of two, and then introduce yourself to each person in the group. And it's, I said, no, that's rude. They're already talking to someone. They don't want to talk to me. And he pointed out that you, can, you don't talk to any group of two, right? You don't interrupt the people who are canoodling in a corner who shouldn't be, right? But you can kind of tell from people's body language how – if they're standing sort of at angle to each other, if they're standing like straight facing each other 100%. And the thing about introducing yourself to two people – is that one, you have a twice as good a chance of having an interesting conversation. Um, it's easier to leave if you need to leave. Um, but the thing about it is you look at it from their point of view. They're talking to each other. Either they know each other well, in which case they know they really should be talking to someone else and they're happy to see you, or they don't know each other well and they're worried that they're not going to meet anyone else all night and they're happy to see you. So either way... They're happy for you to join their group, which I completely did not understand until – even when he explained it to me, I didn't understand it. And then I tried it, and I could not believe how well it worked. She says that night she approached eight groups of two, and every conversation went well. She felt like a new woman. So now I feel like I want to go to another one, which is totally new to me. Yeah, I know. I'm definitely going to try that because I, I suppose – 
I've always been that person that would look out for one person, but then nowadays, I mean, you know, for years now, you go to these events and that one person seems to be in an intimate relationship with their phone. Exactly, exactly. And the thing is, they'd probably rather talk to you, but you don't feel comfortable interrupting them. It's so you know, it's, awkward. And it's, it's got to be awkward for them, too. I mean, they're at a networking event and they're staring at their phone. You sort of feel like you're doing a public service by talking to them, yet it's easier to talk to groups of two. Still, she says there's no reason you shouldn't approach the phone scroller. In all likelihood, that phone is their security blanket and they're just waiting to start an actual conversation with a real human. But what about why you're making these approaches in the first place? Dory Clark says too many people see networking as an opportunity to sell their services, which she says is a mistake. She says networking is not just about you. And this is something I'd hardly thought about before. Networking is a two-way street. Doris says you have to think about how you can help the other person. She says when you're meeting peers, that's fairly easy. But it can be tricky when the person you want to connect with is a lot more senior than you. She admits she screwed this up once. So a a few years ago, I was a speaker at a technology conference. And by surprise, I ran into in the speaker's green room uh, a really successful author who was the, the keynote speaker of the conference. And at the time, my book hadn't come out. I was uh, I was a speaker, you know, and so I was technically in the room, in the lounge, but I was not at his level. I was leading a breakout session. You know, n- nobody had really realistically heard of me. And so I was so uh, surprised and really unprepared for uh, for meeting him that I handed him my card and I just said stupid things. I said, oh, I really love your work. If you're ever in Boston, let's get let's get together. And that's great. Um, It's perfectly nice. But it didn't give him a compelling reason to want to reach out to me. And so he didn't. And I'm not really surprised by that. Because what I've learned subsequently is that you need to do a better job. If someone is much higher than you in status, and I don't mean that in in terms of, you know, your generalized worth as a human being, but I just mean he's got a lot more people out there that want to meet him than wanted to meet me at that point in my life. Um, You've got to find a way to break through the clutter. And, you know, hey, if you're in Boston, let's have coffee is not going to cut it. She didn't know he'd be at the conference. If she had, she could have done some research on him and seen what she could offer in return for him helping her in some way. What I would like to posit for people is that you can offer them something, but it's it's a little bit of a trick. It's a puzzle. It's a challenge. And the challenge is that you have to figure out what you can offer them. They, they're not going to tell you because they probably don't know. But if you can figure out what you can offer them, that is your way through the gate. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is something Mary Kubsinski is also a big believer in. She is CEO of 8 of 9 Consulting, so-called because she's the eighth of nine children. The firm helps financial services companies handle changes in U.S. law that affect their business. But she came to this area via a winding path. After college, Mary worked for the Christian nonprofit World Vision. 
but after 10 years of fundraising, she was ready for a change. She decided if she acquired both a law degree and a PhD, the world would be her oyster. The degree took five years to complete. While she studied, she applied for summer jobs, mostly what she calls save-the-world jobs. The truth is I couldn't get a job. I have over 300 rejection letters from like every single nonprofit, Amnesty International. I had offered to work as an intern for free. The only place that would hire me, ironically, was the financial services industry. And so I got a job as an intern. I had never taken a class. I knew nothing about banking. And I was assigned at random to the area of CDOs and fixed income derivatives and credit default swaps in the summer of 2007 when Bear Stearns went down. She started learning about those securities just as the financial system was beginning its meltdown in large part thanks to them. She was learning a lot, but she was still holding out for a save the world job when she graduated. In 2009, she finally did. But by that point... I didn't believe in the nonprofit business model. I didn't really want to be a banker. I didn't want to be a lawyer. So I realized I, I had no idea what I was going to do. So I went back to Seattle for one week, and I emailed all my friends, my friends' parents, my high school English teacher, because, of course, I've been in touch with all of them. And I said, I'm coming back for one week. I'm going to sit in a coffee shop. And I would like you to sign up for time slots. And I would like to hear what you do for a living, how you got to that position, and what you like and dislike about your industry. Mary had always been pretty outgoing, and she loved meeting people. So she thought, why not find out more about their lives and maybe get some ideas for her own? One of the people she met with that week? Bill Gates's dad, William Gates Sr. It turns out Mary's father had been to law school with him decades earlier. He was so disgusted that his daughter didn't intend to use her law degree, he begged his old classmate to give her a talking to. But she says he was just one person she spoke to. She listened to scores of people that week. I realized my network is already super powerful in itself. And of course, I mean, he was one connector, but I mean, all of the friends' parents and the high school English teacher who had alumni who were now running companies, immediately I was meeting just CEOs. And so I traveled around the States and met with, like, for example, I I met with the CEO of one of the largest metals recycling facilities in North America. I put on a hard hat and, like, got a tour of the metals recycling plant to see if maybe there was – Something something I could do for metals recycling. And so it was very experimental, but I learned a lot. And the key is I'm still in touch with every single one of them. No, she didn't go into metals recycling, but she says that's not the point. All those people she connected with during that time have expanded her network. She's landed clients through them, and she's also done her best to help a lot of them out. And she says something I've never heard anyone else say about making connections. It's funny. People think it's the weirdest advice, but I really have found that the most powerful compliment you can give someone is that they were memorable. And so I find that, you know, I'll go to a conference and everyone will LinkedIn you like within the next day. And to me, it's absolutely forgettable. What's great is when you get an email out of the blue from someone that says, you're probably not going to remember me, but we met like six months ago and I should have followed up, but I've been thinking about you a lot. That is way more complimentary than 
a LinkedIn request the day after. Automatic. It's it's just it's more endearing. And so if you really want to talk to somebody, and and this goes for so many different things. When I when I was doing my career search, I really wanted to learn about the U.S. Trade Representative, which is like an agency in Washington D.C. And I looked at who was running it, and I did a search, and I discovered he had once spoken at Rutgers, and I went to Rutgers for law school, and I didn't go to his event or anything. So she didn't know this guy. She'd never met him or heard him speak. She just knew through online research that he'd spoken once at her university. And this is where being bold comes in handy. I wrote him, and I said, you're probably not going to remember me in any way at all, but... You spoke at Rutgers, and I was wondering if you would be interested in telling me about your experience as a trade lawyer. And he, the head of this entire agency totally took an hour out of his day to talk to me about what it's like to be a trade lawyer. And uh, On the phone, in person? It, that one happened to be on the phone, which is not my favorite, for the record. If you can do it in person, always go for in person. But... Um, it's just funny because I've kind of kept a relationship alive with him, too. And it just, I think it's much more flattering than people realize. So don't stress out. If you're like, oh, no, I missed the window. No way. You can reach out to people like four years later. And it's a compliment. It's generally more of a guy thing to exhibit the kind of chutzpah Mary did and go for a cold approach. And Mary says she knows plenty of women don't go out of their way to make connections, even at work. They say, I don't have time for this kind of extracurricular activity. And they're so guy-focused anyway. I think guys are more into maybe like the golf scene and, and doing these traditional late night drinks. And I can stay out with the best of them, no doubt. Um, but I do see how many women just feel obligated that they are not number one in their family and they have other people that are more important that they need to focus on. And I think that's great. But I think there's a lot of just everyday things like take lunch, take a 20 minute lunch and just force yourself to walk out to the local park to sit down with a friend at the same time. She says it's worth doing these things to cement your office relationships and just to be in the know about what's going on at work. And she says there's another reason to keep up your relationships both inside and outside your company. I was once given the advice that you never know who your boss is going to be. And it is, it's really funny because I was once an intern at this giant investment bank and uh, there was somebody who worked there that was just not interested in meeting anybody outside of his circle. Well, of course, the crisis hits and he's freaking out and he's looking for a job. And guess who now runs a company that does regulatory change management and totally could use a skill set? Yes, that was Mary. The intern was now in charge of her own operation. After all those meetings and investigation of industries, she decided to start her own consulting company serving the financial services industry she'd known so little about a few years earlier. And it, it had to be very humbling that he came and worked for his former intern. But the truth of the matter is, do not underestimate the people around you. Um, and it's, don't be snobbish about the, the either the age difference or the you know the experience difference or what you perceive the experience difference to be critical. I had someone that was meeting me for career advice, and I this is like in my early days, and I was like, oh, 
she's 21. Like, she's not going to be able to help me. It's just a waste of my time to go give her career advice. We talked. It was great. And then later, I had a project come up that had to do with, like, uh, Muslim-American relations. And she was the absolute linchpin to every single mosque in all of New Jersey. And I thought, wow, never, ever underestimate what the smallest relationship can mean to you. It's never about who someone is right now. It's about who they're going to be. Mary Kopsinski of Eight of Nine Consulting. She says her network is 4,000 strong, and on average, she interacts with 250 to 300 people a month. Two things we didn't cover in this podcast, other than how to have as much energy as Mary, were the usefulness or not of online networking and women's only networking groups. I'm going to get to those in a blog post over the next few days, so check out thebroadexperience.com for that. Okay, so here I am again in 2018. One thing I've come to believe during the last few years is that if I go to a networking event, it's okay if I come away from that event just having had a good substantive conversation with a couple of people. I don't put too much pressure on myself to work the room. Also, I will never be able to maintain a massive network like Mary. But little things that have happened to me since I made this show have reiterated it's so worth keeping even loosely in touch with people from past work lives. You never know when your paths may cross again and one or both of you might benefit. That's the broad experience for this time. As usual, I will post show notes under this episode at thebroadexperience.com. And if you enjoy the show and you haven't reviewed it yet on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as they're calling themselves now, please do. It all helps the podcast come to more people's notice. I'm Ashley Montite. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.